Welcome to the Dakota Town Hall Podcast, a political podcast platform based in Western South Dakota. Over the coming episodes, you'll hear from candidates and the issues that affect you in the upcoming 2020 election. Welcome to this episode of Dakota Town Hall from the Home Slice Media Group. It's also brought to you by Elevate Rapid City. Today, we are meeting with James Preston, a candidate for District 32 House. In the Dakota Town Hall series, each candidate will receive the same questions presented to them in the same order. The candidates have not received these questions in advance. The questions are based on issues from candidate campaigns and from current events. James, would you introduce yourself? Well, thank you, Todd. Uh, My name is James Preston. I am uh, a candidate here in District 32. I have uh, uh, joined the race about, oh, officially by about mid-August, so I'm kind of a latecomer. I am on the Democratic ticket, and I really love this area. I grew up here and uh, have family here, working full-time, and really care about the area. So that's, uh, if I could get anything in my introduction across, it's uh, I really care, and I'm here to do, do my best. Okay, great. You did kind of tie into it a little bit, but why are you running? And that's the best question you can ask anyone, right? Uh, And I think the one-liner is that I want to help to reinstall a sense of faith in our democratic system. I think that it's been a very difficult past four years uh, for the country in general. Uh, Divisiveness kind of peaked out in 2015, according to some studies that I remember back then. Um, Today, I really want to bring people together, and I want to unify I also want to run because I think the people are hungry for fresh anything right now. So I want to bring a new face and new freshness to the process and ultimately let people know, young folks in particular, um, we can have faith in this process. And how does the process work? Well, this is (laughs) – you're hearing it. (laughs) You're in action. Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, first question is, I mean, the real or harder question, I guess, is explain your position on the Second Amendment. Sure. And I know that is a huge topic for us folks out here and conservationists who harvest natural resources such as pheasant, deer, antelope. Um, part of our culture is that we've always been a hunting state. Um, this is... Uh, uh, the American Indians and, and hunting buffalo, right? This land is is ripe and fresh with uh, with natural resources. So, the Second Amendment, uh, right to bear arms, right to peacefully assemble a militia, uh, are critical aspects and inalienable rights under the Bill of Rights. These are items that are hot button for some folks. Of course, I have zero intention of interfering with people's right to bear arms. I myself am a gun owner, and I believe in the inalienable right to self-defense. Okay, great. Uh, Has the state taken the correct stance on COVID? What, if anything, would you change? The state has taken uh, a backseat to science, and politicians have driven this response. I don't agree with the release by the governor in yesterday's Rhapsody Journal, uh, the gall to still 
not discuss mask wearing. Chris Christie, ex-Republican governor of New Jersey, just spent almost a week, or if not more, in the ICU. And his direct quote, I should have worn a mask. The number one killer of police officers across the United States is COVID-19 by far. And please look those numbers up. Everything that anyone tells you, you should be, believe half of what you see, nothing that you hear, right? And this is audio. Um, it's super critical. We research these items. And we need our first responders, uh, frontline workers, uh, you know, our teachers right now. Uh, we happen to have three kids in three different schools. So we're privy to three different information streams when there are uh, positives. And um, without breaking privacy, there's, you know, a positive today at Meadowbrook Elementary as a teacher. Yesterday, there were seven students at Stevens High School. And we get a routine number. Now, RCS knows the exact numbers. Um, but it's, it's, it's a real deal. And the schools need help. Uh, we need, uh, small businesses need help. This is something that if we are to get through this, we have to get through it together. And the state's response of this laissez-faire, freedom, freedom, look, that's half of the conservative argument, right? Individual responsibility is critical. As a Democrat, absolutely. That's liberalism, individual rights, right? But if you don't exercise that right with the collective in mind, it's not written well. And it's half the argument that hasn't been taught. So I will, you know, as a quasi-politician, a candidate, right? I'm not even a politician, would defer all policies to scientists, just like South Korea. Look at South Korea. Their economy did not shut down. It's not apples to apples, but still, it's not the right response. And if we really care about small businesses, we need to start encouraging ways to drop our positivity test rate down below 5%. And right now, it's not. So ignore it. But if you bury your head in the sand, it ain't going away. All right, thank you. Uh, we have three ballot measures on the ballot. Initiated Measure 26, which is for legalizing marijuana for medical use. Constitutional Amendment A, which is for legalizing marijuana for recreational use. And Constitutional Amendment B, which legalizes sports betting in Deadwood and on non-reservation, I'm sorry, on reservation tribal casinos. What is your position on these ballot measures? Well, if we just want to go down the line, um, I think starting with the cannabis issues, those are actually very unifying uh, measures. I spoke with and have spoken with plenty of folks who are voting for Trump, have voted for Trump, and are all for Amendment 26, I'm sorry, Amendment A and Initiative Measure 26. Um, the reason that I support these is that if we are to look at the London Times produced a, a well-written article that 10% of the uh, arrests made in South Dakota are cannabis-related, the tax implications coming out of a somewhat of a, a dry year, we're down some percent in sa sales tax because of the pandemic as the rest of the country, has an opportunity to access a new funding source. 15% uh, sales tax is huge. So 
the irresponsible uh, behaviors that are out there that people are concerned about are something that we all have to be concerned about because we all know folks who are self-medicating right now on alcohol. And alcohol, what we see on the paper, two wrecks on Thursday night, vehicle wrecks. And 7% of the state, unfortunately, struggles with uh, alcohol. That's that's fact. What I watched happen in Colorado, and I, I graduated from the University of Colorado, so I got to vote for Amendment 20, mind you. So that was the bill, and I was a senior in college, that allowed for medical marijuana. If you go down to Colorado today, and you go through Golden, and you try to drive up to Clear Creek Canyon, up towards Blackhawk, and it kind of cuts an I-70 there, mm-hmm. you'll notice this beautiful sidewalk. It's like, I don't know how to call it, but it's built into the, the wall of the canyon. Um, and without having my appropriations of Colorado state law in front of me, I'm only guessing some of that money came from somewhere, right? Look at the four lanes of uh, interstate that they're now they're turning into six lanes, excuse me, from Cheyenne down the, uh, you know, I-25 to Denver. It's like actually like a, a NASCAR race course, right? I mean, it's picked up in years and we've watched it really just explode. So a lot of folks, when I moved out of Colorado in 2009, it was like 10, it was nine. Um, they were moving in the state like 10,000 people at a time. I mean, they were flooding in there. It was like this boon to freedom, and we're a freedom-loving state, and our governor likes to tout that freedom. So if we can handle this pandemic, which, you know, depending on who you're talking about, how well are we handling it, mm-hmm. but we can handle the right to adults, 21 and older, to safely uh, utilize these products, which are, would be grown locally by local farmers, Indoors, outdoors, I don't know. But regardless, a well-regulated industry is opening markets. And I think that's what politicians are supposed to do is to help people. And now I haven't even touched on like the cancer treatment or the medical part of it, but the medical side of it has been uh, very positive. Um, it's well-regulated in Colorado, I know, and and uh, they've really benefited. So that issue there with uh, the unnecessary arrests, the the freedoms there. I mean, I'll take John Boehner's stance, ex-Republican Speaker of the House, who was Christie's boss. Guess what he's doing? Google it. He is on the board of the the largest cannabis company in the, in the world. He merged and sold to a company in Canada. So we're talking markets, right? And that's what we need right now. We need to empower people, allow them that freedom. Uh, CBD uh, is a product that is not governed right now. Uh, our tax, or I'm sorry, it's not restricted. It's legal. You can get at the pharmacy. Great remedy effects. Um, and I know that people um, need to sit there and look at that item, but but certainly I am I, definitely in favor of, of yes on 26 and on A. Now, if I may really quickly, briefly speak on Amendment B, uh, the tax benefits are to go to the Historical Society of Deadwood, I believe. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I can't say enough about how lovely Deadwood is. I mean, it's a it's a special place. Uh, lead Opera House, beautiful. And I don't know if that's necessarily a beneficiary, perhaps. I, I You know, in fact, it's the least of the, the, uh, the initiatives that I've spent time on. I know that in my district, I think it will benefit one of the larger hospitality companies. And with that said, I think that um, sports betting occurs regardless. I think what they're trying to do 
is open up a market, again, to allow people the freedom to, just like if you would go to Vegas or whatever, you'd see those sports betting. Do I believe in gambling? No. Do I believe it's a sustainable way to make money off the populace? No. I think that it's a it's a recreational activity that if people use it well, by all means they can they can gamble, right? What's wrong with a little blackjack? My wife and I love to go up there. Um, pre-pandemic, of course, we haven't gone up, but but you know they're hurting too, and they're a big employer. Um, but I do understand people really do not like video lottery around here. I know gambling is a tough issue. Um, I would honestly defer that to the voters. I'm sort of uh, not willing to explain or disclose whether I will vote for or against it, but I'm leaning for it because the reason being is economically it benefits one of the large employer locally. And right now, what are we going to do? Tell people no. <laughs> They're hurting. So in that, it, it would be different perhaps if there was no pandemic. I think because of the pandemic, state government's hurting, local folks and service hospitality industry are hurting. So it's hard to, hard to say no to that. Thank you. So uh, according to a 2019 report published in the U.S. News and World Report, South Dakota ranked well at 10th in the nation for higher education, but ranked 23rd for K-12 through education. What can the South Dakota legislature do to improve the K-12 through education in the state? Well, that's a <clears throat> wonderful question. Uh, it also references the power of our SDBOR institutions, um, not to mention the Lake uh, Technical Institute up there who are, uh, President Obama visited and uh, Western Dakota Tech here in town doing phenomenal things for trade industries. And, and um, that's a great question. Uh, K through 12, uh, you know, I came through these public school system and I felt at the time I think I could have done more. Um, but that's a curriculum decision, plus I was a snot-nosed kid, right? So now as a legislator uh, in training, right, or wanting to become one, um, I do believe that we need to invest continuously in uh, updating, keeping our facilities uh, well-managed. That's a, another discrepancy when you leave and, you know, if you're in another state or you listen to this in another state, I don't know, the comparison of, like, playground equipment – is, is kind of a weird allegory, but um, I noticed some playground equipment was a little dated. Um, you know, I really feel for some of the teachers right now who are working a full day, and then they're hopping on the internet to Zoom with kids who are distance learners, um, such as in our family. <clears throat> and investing in teachers is, is obviously a, an easy route to go about and say, hey, you know, let's just throw, you know, more money at them and, and get more results, right? I don't know if it's that easy, but I do think that as Billy Sutton was running on his platform against uh, the Governor Noem in 2018, he wanted to really badly uh, install a, a pre-K, uh, more of like a task force to study it. Um, because right now, you know, if you're really low on the socioeconomic spectrum, you qualify for Head Start, federally funded. If you can afford it, or if you can't afford it, like... Essentially, when when my wife and I are going through school here in town, we put it on a credit card. We were allowed our daughter to go to Montessori school. And that leaves a gap, though, for working-class families or middle-class families. And in education, development, 
um, protecting kids all the way through from daycare up, it's critical. And any investment we can give, uh, it is demonstrated and proven to return and, uh, you know, huge returns, um, exponential returns is the word I was thinking. And so we, you know, healthy kids, we need to keep them fed, you know, right now it's a tough, tough time with the schools because the schools were such a major supplier of nutrients and, uh, really just, you know, it's, it's, I don't have all the answers as far as that goes, as far as what would do move us from 23 to 22 and then upward. Right. But integrated approaches, empowering local school boards, um, being adaptive, being creative, listening to the teachers. Um, there's a lot of different models of funding classrooms as well that I've heard about from, you know, supplying the teacher with a allotment and allowing like, you know, a, a good budget and allowing her, her or him to discern and budget themselves. So we need to be open and willing to explore potential programs that, or policies or even processes that would you know, you know, really empower the teacher to make those decisions and the parents, get them involved, of course, uh, the students. Uh, this is a new world, right? And the kids are learning how to Zoom. They're not really handwriting, they're typing now. So it's different, and we need to be just mindful of that. Okay, in that same 2019 report, the economy in South Dakota ranked 27th. What can the state legislature do to improve the economy of the state? Well, that's an awesome question, and that is probably up there with the top things people talk about when I'm door knocking or calls or what have you. Um, but we uh, certainly have, uh, let's start from the ground up, infrastructure. <clears throat> people don't realize that the Heartland Expressway is just one section of what's called the Port to Plains Alliance, and that alliance takes essentially a freight from the Hudson Bay and even up in Regina and Saskatchewan all the way down to, I want to say Montezuma, Mexico. So we are actually kind of the knuckle between what's called the Theodore Roosevelt Expressway and the Heartland Expressway. And the Heartland Expressway ends, I believe, in Brighton, Colorado, somewhere north of Denver. It kicks in I-25 and down. So there was a report in 2012 of, and things have changed with oil and stuff, there was more 18-wheeler freight traffic between uh, Rapid City and Dickinson, North Dakota, than there was from Sioux Falls to Fargo, North Dakota. Now, if you've ever driven those two highways, they're significantly different. Uh, one's two, one's four, right? Mm -hmm. So, oh, you know, what's going on in, in Canada as far as they're our largest trade partner? Um, it's possible to get to Canada in a day's drive from here. And we're we could be there, like, you know, winter... Uh, resort if we wanted to, right? They could come down here in the winter. But Saskatchewan is known as the prairie of the, the Paris of the prairie. Uh, Regina is actually one of the lead industry for film and art arts in Canada, if you believe that. Hmm. Regina is a really fascinating town. Calgary, they're at the base of the Rocky Mountains. They're beautiful. Um, and we have neighbors that we haven't tapped. Uh, we need to compete. And that's why hemp is so important, why the marijuana bills can be important as well, because these are cash crops. Um, we can we can open trade partners with there. And I would love to see Rapsi Regional Airport become Rapsi 
international airport. <laughs> How cool would that be? That would, that would be like a dream come true to get on a flight and, yeah, I'm going to go up to Calgary and go skiing, you know, right? Versus 50 minutes, a bumpy flight down to Denver. But we need to open trade partners. We need to honestly, like, fix our state government so that, in fact, we have seven states that will not send their state employees to our state because of our laws and some of the things we've done, and particularly against the LGBTQ community, LGBTQ plus community. So uh, by saying, hey, look, we got some good people here, and we're not going to, you know, we're going to treat everybody fairly, and we're going to start to enforce the rights of human beings just like our state constitution, our national constitution require. So I think that in state government, uh, we're just starting to open the doors. Our broadband internet is huge. Uh, business services has barely been touched right now throughout the pandemic. Um, I fall into that industry. Uh, you know, if, you, if Google wanted to outsource or throw some employees from Google Finance Department out here, hey, we got space for you. Come work from home here and then come use our grocery store and, you know, come skiing with me or whatever, right? So um, we we have some opportunity that's very um, great for high-paying uh, high jobs to get them landed in here just through business services alone and their or internet. Or we have actually really good internet. <laughs> Thank you. You bet. Um, still on the money issue, there never seems to be enough money for everything people would like to see the state do. What changes to the state budget would you like to see? Well, a lot of scarcity ain't going away in economics. Uh, but, you know, you go look through the PDF file of what the October 5th special uh, session they came up with and allotment of how the, the cash was given. Uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, $5 million was given to the uh, South Dakota Board of Regents schools. Um, there's six of them. And then $5 million was given to the private schools. Um, and I don't know how many private schools we have. Um, but that's one area where, you know, it demonstrates uh, fairness and equality, but the majority of students are grossly, and, and don't quote me, but or fact-check me on this, but I believe they're in their border region schools. So that was a surprising find. Um, but the allotment and the appropriations of, of the funds, when they would do come in, um, can there's always room for improvement and our con our tracting state contracting, uh, you know, that's something that without being really intimately involved with the process of bidding and, and, and all that, we can really always look and see what kind of contracts are given out. What's the transparency behind the contracts? Um, you know, we install transparency and accountability. We're going to, uh, inevitably, um, start to put money in correct areas better, I think. And that sounds very uh, politician talk, but I would like to work with people across the across the state uh, and, and get the best ideas and make the most bang for our buck because it's called high value, high touch in the consulting world, right? You know, mm -hmm. you want to get your return. The people uh, deserve that right. We need to be accountable to the people of course, obviously, and uh, they're the ones who control this process, you know. And I've heard many different options, uh, co-ops, um, uh, you know, more money towards, uh, you know, 
we discussed a little earlier the pre-K perhaps maybe throw into some extra money there. Um, you know, it's, it's a great question. It's tough to answer here quickly. Um, but infrastructure, education, our foundation principles, these are things that if you're looking at, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs before we can hit, hit our higher aspirations, we've got to really make sure our kids are taking care of our families working class folks, uh, women for particular, um, homelessness is a big problem. Uh, mental health is huge, especially right now. It's getting, uh, you know, things are bubbling under the surface. People are really tired of this pandemic. It's, it's wearsome, you know, rightfully so. Um, and so we just have to be accountable to the people and, and listen to what their needs are and be compassionate in government. Explain your position on Medicaid expansion. So Medicaid expansion is the easiest way to describe health care, and we have a lot of work to do. And on October 1st, our neighbor to the south, Nebraska, implemented Medicaid expansion. So eligibility benefits today, the 22nd of October, are now you know three weeks of folks being able to access the, the doctor. It is inhumane in the world's richest economy that we have people who are trapped in medical bills. Medical debt is the number one cause of bankruptcy. Um, for those who aren't aware, I, I did grow up in the state's first urgent care. My dad was a physician. My mom's a mental health professional. And it has only gotten worse as far as the, the bureaucratic issues with Medicaid. Uh, providers uh, tend to have to go through some hoops just to watch or to see patients. Patients have to seek permission and authorization to be seen. In some cases, community clinics pick up the slack. Um, but it is so critical that we move our, you know, 10% of states on uninsured, mind you. And that's the donut hole, they say, folks who perhaps might not qualify uh, for, for Medicaid, they make too much, but not enough to really benefit from the uh, the tax be uh, benefits from the Affordable Care Act. Um, there's a federal, po federal poverty level, right? There's a, so it's, it's a rolling logic and how you uh, determine eligibility. And we have a donut hole because the intent of that Affordable Care Act was that states would expand it. Supreme Court ruled against it. Uh, you know, they, they did not, uh, well, they left that to the states, excuse me. And so we are the only state around us who hasn't expanded. The only holdouts around us is Wisconsin. But Oklahoma and Missouri just expanded. Uh, like I said, Nebraska has implemented it. And there are ways that we can make Medicaid more efficient as well. Um, but we, we need to have health care for everybody. And, and I may continue, I'm just <laughs> serious about this topic. Um, it's, it's, it's tragedy as, as working class people to not be able to have access to, the, to a doctor with preventative care will, uh, if you want to take a financial angle perspective, will save millions, hundreds of millions, save lives. Preventative care, we need that. We have to have it. And um, if it, because, and this is the last part, I'm sorry, I don't want to be, winded, but MTALA, the Emergency Medical uh, Treatment and Labor Act, uh, if you have a operating an ER, uh, 
like such as Monument Health down the street here, they uh, accept Medicare. So henceforth, they must allow anybody, or Medicare and Medicaid, so anybody can go into the ER. And uh, by design, urgent cares were essentially when they started, like my parents' Uh, outfit in 1989 was an extension of the fact that, hey, get your primary care. Just walk in. We don't need, you know, you to call. Just show up. And it was driven by the patients. What happened is they found out, insurance companies found out, oh, oh my gosh, this is saving a lot of money because folks are not showing up to the ER with, you know, almost too late at that point uh, for something that could have been solved with the the mere... um, uh, prescribing of a life-saving medicine like a statin for hypertension or diabetics. So mTALA is essentially socialized medicine. Everyone's going to get care, and that's today, right now. The largest health system in the United States, Veterans Health Administration, uh, the community-based outpatient clinic is just down here on 5th Street, kind of nestled between Black Hill Surgical Hospital and Monument Health. That is part of the largest health system in the United States. So very quaint, but it's there, and that is effectively socialized medicine as well. So there's people want to say and use these big terms that kind of confuse you or what have you. But the bottom line comes down that healthcare is a human right. We have to empower people and allow them the the extra lives that they can, or actually years to their life that will be given to them through Medicaid expansion. Okay, uh, what specific issues do you want to solve for the people in your district? You know, it's so awesome talking to folks. And uh, one of the biggest things, and this isn't a state issue, but it's like dog etiquette. This is for the district. This is for the district, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The dog etiquette. And uh, um, a lot of folks in the district are, you know, upset about barking dogs, okay? Uh, Would I have a bill for that? No. But district issues are... You know, a lot of uh, based on uh, in District 32, uh, crime right now. You talk about crime. And we talk about uh, economic, uh, you know, development um, that will lower crime. Um, People are concerned about um, peaceful transition of power coming up, and that's a national issue, but people all over the district continue to talk to me about that. It doesn't matter what side they're on. Uh, You know, the direction of of the country is just as important to our district as as it is anywhere else. And in, in my district in particular, I like to call it like the brewery district, right? We've got like five awesome breweries. They're all great. Um, got great restaurants. Uh, it's the heart of the, the culture of the town, downtown. Arts are there and everything uh, that you'd ever want to do in Rapid. I mean, outside of courses, every, the whole area is great, but, but we have a very special place. Um, we have a lot of folks who are very much uh, into, uh, you know, outdoors and, and making sure that our water stays clean because um, if there were ever to be a mining accident up in the, up above the Pactola watershed, our drinking water is affected. Our drinking water gets affected by mining tailings. Guess what happens to that really nice uh, monthly bill you pay the city municipal for the water treatment? Um, in areas such as Durango where mining has, you know, essentially polluted the drinking water, you have these astronomical costs that haven't been a result. So protecting our environment and uh, the largest fire in Colorado is burning down south, mind you. So we have a lot of very environmentally conscious people. 
We have a lot of healthcare workers. We have all the health systems, essentially the plurality of this area in this in this district. So, and I was uh, lucky enough to have a career in healthcare, and I've worked for Monument Health. I know the people there, and I, I know how hard the frontline workers are working right now. And um, we have uh, just a very rich district. It's very diverse, um, but ultimately, it's been such a pleasure to just get to know people from all walks of life that this has opened doors for me. Like I would talking to you right now, I, we've never met before and you're in my district and there's so much more we can do. And, uh, it's the food district too, mind you, because both Safeways are in th- district 32. We can cut that food tax down from 4.6 to 2.2, you know, essentially have our food tax. And what that does is helps out the, uh, take home pay that, that folks on, who are working class, sometimes working multiple jobs to pay for food. So we need to send, essentially really look at health system, or excuse me, uh, well, of course, health systems, but food systems, local sustainable food systems. Uh, cooperatives have been a thing that's come up a lot. Uh, the old Albertsons building is sitting vacant on Omaha and West Boulevard, and a lot of people are like, you know, what if that was a Four Seasons farmer's market and folks could come in year-round, help our farmers out? Uh, this is a federal issue, but maybe farmers could sell to Monument Health's uh, kitchen. Mm-hmm. And, and the urban hens thing has come up a lot because um, urban hens offer uh, independence, and we're South Dakota. And so, you know, all of Montana effectively has urban hens, mind you. Um, they're regulated, cost about 25 bucks a year, and you can have chickens. And I don't know what's the problem with fresh eggs, but I'll take fresh eggs over barking dogs, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I hope that would hope that helps answer, but we're going to develop on that one, that, that question further. Well, the very next question is, is what specific issues do you want to solve for the people of the state? Well, we've already touched on, on health care. I want to see 100% of everybody in South Dakota covered. I want to see uh, commercial property start to be populated again with jobs, and I want to see people back making money. Uh, I want to see our schools playgrounds start to shine. I want to see, uh, you know, people in general become more healthy. And I really want uh, sustainable plans for the future. I want uh, this, this area to become, instead of, you know, dragging middle of the area, 20, you said 27 in the state for economic development, but really be a leader in all these different opportunities we have. South Dakota is a leader in transgenerative farming, mind you where, you know, you can have a, a cow fertilizes the crops, the crops are fed, and that's henceforth. And, and we have, because we have clay-like soils out here in the West, and we have a different type of uh, challenge when it comes to growing. So we need to continue to empower the agrarian sectors of the state. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Vancouver, Canada, for example, and I'm referencing Canada a lot, but they have rows and rows of indoor greenhouses that are four-season greenhouses. Um, you know, we have a problem with transmission lines on, on wind turbines, but that technology is rapidly developing so that we can start to even poach um, coal miners. My father-in-law is a coal miner at the largest coal mine in America. It's called North uh, North America, excuse me. It's, it's called North Antelope Rochelle Mine. It's down there between Douglas and Gillette. Um, but the coal mines have been suffering for a long time. And so what Wyoming's been doing has been transitioning these these uh, jobs into wind turbine maintenance workers and have really reapplying and adapting and evolving 
to the market demands. And it's really cool to see that. I think that South Dakota, we're, I, <laughs> that's kind of the fun topic, does it say, we're the Middle East of renewable energy. Um, today, I guess it's a little windy, not a lot of sun, so maybe maybe today is a rare exception, but we get through over 300 days of sunshine. We get plenty of wind, um, but our actually largest hydro, uh, our renewable energy is hydro. And that's uh, something that was surprising. Uh, Ramey Bald Eagle taught me that. He's running for PUC. Make a pitch for him. He's a great guy, really sharp. And um, and we we have all these doors that we just need to slowly start to open and, and create business and get people back because what's a job? A job is a sense of purpose. And we all serve a sense of purpose, and that's what we need. Um, so without going too far in tangents today to help answer that question. Sure. sure. Thank you. So uh, you mentioned it before, uh, and again, you didn't know these questions were coming up, but the number of homeless people in Rapid City has grown over the years. Some feel that this is tied to mental health. What can the state do to help the mental health, mental health of our citizens in need? It's a fantastic question. Uh, my uh, mom serves as a, a mental health professional, and she serves the goes back and forth between the the federal and state level, and um, the contracts that are available for some of these companies um, are nationally based contracts. But we can, uh, you know, focus. Uh, I think that it's fair to say that Rapid City could utilize uh, much more help in that department, and we can award and appropriate the correct allotments to the correct uh, companies and um, open those doors to mental health professionals who are effectively ready to work. And it's a great position, by the way. Those, it's a high demand. Those jobs are great jobs, and they're always in high, high demand. So folks who are in school right now, if you're going to get a, you know, a, your license, LPC, licensed professional counseling degree, it's a very smart place. And um, it's also... Um, growing with the pandemic. The economy's hurt, so here we have more individuals who have not typically been going to food banks are now finding themselves at food banks, now finding themselves thankful for the federal moratorium on evictions that came about. Um, it didn't come about early enough for some families, but there are uh, really tough situations right now that if we can just bring mental health into the, every topic. Now, it was part of your, your first question or second question on the Second Amendment. I didn't get a chance to, to, to dip into there, but um, the ERPOs, those emergency response protective orders, uh, are found to not violate the Second Amendment, but to save lives. And we have a, a population of a lot of veterans in the area. Veteran, uh, unfortunately, uh, succumb to suicide at about 26 per day on average, six of which actually occur on medical facility uh, um, clinics. So uh, it's, that's tragic, right? These are they're already institutionalized and they're still um, taking that uh, that decision, horrible decision. And we really need everybody, and we need to uh, focus on mental health because uh, it doesn't affect just the poor or, or just the homeless. It affects everybody. And it's okay, you know, it's a sign of strength to ask for help. And as a community, I think we could ask for help and say, hey, you know what, 
people are suffering. And certainly, yeah, what, what we see going on with the homeless population in Rapid and the division that's going on between, you know, say the mayor and, and uh, the Rapid Creek group, um, I don't like to see that. I think that um, there needs to be some unity in this, this front. And I think that some of the groups, honestly, if you actually read what they're trying to promote, it sounds pretty darn good. And I would think that enabling those groups to continue the funding where they find uh, some benefit, then empower them to try, give them a, you know, in contracting a limit and make sure the deliverables are given. And that being that you're helping, you're getting people back to work if necessary, or they're getting the medications they need, or they have a warm place to sleep at night. And, uh, yeah, it's a... Okay. It's a big topic. Yeah. Big topic. Mm-hmm. So, um, would you like to make a closing statement? Oh, geez. <laughs> um, that was 13 questions already? Yeah. Oh, geez. Well, um, I, you know, that, this is the first time I ever run for anything. You know, so, so, it's been a real honor, and uh, it's uh, been a real pleasure to get to know people. It's been just fast and furious, and I just am really hoping that we all come together um, and, you know, you know, just, you know, we need some unity, and I think that's the most important thing is that uh, it doesn't matter what your party is. Like, this job is to run for the people, so you won't find me out there uh, getting my information from a group like, say, ALEC or a group like SIX, and these are essentially policies mills that produce them and expect state legislators to rubber stamp these in office, and now you deal with it. All direction in government comes from the ground up. So the one, <clears throat> the one thing that you'll, you'll see about uh, my passion for this job uh, <clears throat> is that we're going to work together and uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get our uh, bills and policies are going to be based on the people. And nothing un- undemocratic will, will go through any of this process. And that's my promise to the, to the people and the constituents. James at PrestonForSouthDakota.com is my email address. Can I plug that real quick? Sure. Please visit my website at www.prestonfor4southdakota.com. My email address is james at prestonforsouthdakota.com. If you email me, I will respond. Well, thanks for coming in, James.